Today's Yom Yun was named Mental Health, the Internet, and the Yetzirah. So we did Mental Health, we did the Internet, we're up to the Yetzirah. Used to the, the idea of Arayot has existed. I don't think it's a Jewish idea that referring to the world's profession to be one of Znut. But that concept, the world knows. There are Arayot. And it's always been a problem. Ainapatropos la Arayot, the Gemara says in more than one location. You can't actually stop it. In fact, Chazal tell us. But they once dive in to get rid of the Yetzirah for Arayot. And shortly thereafter, there were no eggs in the world. Chickens stop laying eggs. It's part of the natural human drive. And without being an expert on the history of Arayot, I certainly see that in our current society, where every room and every home, every pocket, there's access to it, usually unfettered access, free access, that some of the uh, barriers to entry that may have existed previously in order to get the Arayos no longer exist. This is something that our door, our generation, you and your families and your children, one day, Mitzvah Hashem, are going to have to deal with. And therefore, this is an extremely important topic. And I brought today... Um, Brad Saltzman, who has set up, both in New York and here in Artisol, clinics that deal with people who are addicted, or just, there's a whole spectrum of the addiction to looking at inappropriate things, but from my conversation with him, and he'll talk about this, it's not something that's solved just by getting married, Something that's solved just by growing up. He treats married people. He treats 70-year-olds. He treats women. Yes, it is not. Arias doesn't discriminate. It's a problem that our whole door has to deal with. And therefore, for this very important time, we welcome Brad. Uh, okay, thank you very much. Thank you, Rick uh, for inviting me here today. Um, thank you to everybody else for uh, having me. So uh, the name of the talk for today is uh, Shame and Secrecy on the Internet, Finding the Way Out. Did you guys figure out what that talk was going to be about? The shame and secrecy? You guys? Yeah, I see some heads nodding. Other guys weren't so sure. Everyone know, knows what we're talking about today? Rabbi Friedman said we couldn't put it on the poster. But uh, I figured you guys would figure it out. Um, we're talking about pornography addiction, uh, which is a subset of sex addiction, which, which we're going to talk a little bit more about that. Also, I want to make sure that I talk about this, this uh, thing here that Rabbi Friedman mentioned about Yetzir Hara. I want to talk about is pornography addiction Yetzir Hara or not? I think it's an important question that we need to answer. Um, first of all, just a, a little bit about me. My name is Brad Salzman. I grew up in California. Uh, I made Aliyah five years ago. I live in Ramon Beit Shemesh. Um, and this is my first time to the Gush. I've heard, uh, to the Yeshiva, I should say. 
I've, I've heard about it for many years, um, but I've never been here. So this is very exciting for me to be here today. Um, in 2010, I opened a center in Midtown Manhattan and also in Muncie, New York, called the New York Sexual Addiction Center, where uh, we specialize in treating sexual uh, addiction, pornography addiction, and related uh, intimacy disorders. And then in 2014, after I made Aliyah, I opened the Kivun Recovery Center in Ramon Pechemish. So let's start here with a little, uh, I guess you could say a thought experiment. If you had to design the perfect drug, what would it look like, right? I think probably most guys in here have, have uh, experimented with certain drugs, at least alcohol, right? Probably most guys in here, if not everyone has tasted alcohol before. One of the big problems with alcohol is it doesn't taste very good, right? So I know some of you might disagree with me, uh, at least silently to yourselves, but um, the, the big drawback for, for alcohol is that not everyone likes to taste, right? Not only that, but not everyone likes the way it feels, right? Sometimes if you drink too much, you start to feel sick, you might want to throw up, right? you start slurring your speech, you can't walk straight, right? So let's imagine now, what would the perfect drug look like? Um, so first of all, it would make you feel great, right? It would get you high. Uh, it would taste good, right? Um, it would come in whatever flavor you want, right? Uh, unlimited access to it, get it all you want. Uh, it's free, um, and there's lots of variety, right? Can you imagine if there were a drug like that, that everyone would get addicted to it, right? Imagine a drug that everyone like the feeling, and it was free, you could get as much as you wanted in whatever flavor you wanted, right? Imagine, everyone would probably, well there's a good chance that a lot of people would get addicted, maybe everyone, right? That, that drug that I'm describing to you is, is, is sex, right? About 15 years ago, I first realized um, that there was such a thing as addiction to pornography. I was working at uh, Yeshiva University in the counseling center, and I had a number of young men who would come to the counseling center, usually for different issues, sometimes specifically for this issue, but along the way they would start talking about the fact that they were looking at porn on a regular basis. Um, and what was interesting to me was that these guys, I, I mean, I, I, I knew about porn, I wasn't, you know, born yesterday, I guess. I mean, I, you know, but, it, but the, the, what, the way they were describing it was something very different. Because the way they were describing it, it wasn't about, uh, it wasn't just about sexual desire. In fact, for them, it sounded more like it was a coping mechanism. Guys were talking about look porn uh, because they didn't want to do their homework. They were talking looking at porn because they were stressed out, looking at porn because they were lonely, looking at porn uh, for all kinds of reasons. Some, some, I remember one, one young man describing to me looking at porn country, right? And this was, this was something different for me. And I was like, what, what's going on here? This is not what I thought, and I think what maybe most people would think, that pornography and masturbation are really just about fulfilling sexual needs. So I went to talk to my uh, senior people there, the directors of the counseling center, and they were all at least 10 years older than me. And I can say now that they just... They had no idea about it. They, I mean, they just, and they just they got it totally wrong. Basically, they said, look, porn is normal. Uh, everyone experiments with it. All young men experiment with it at a certain point. Um, tell the guys not to be so from. This is what they told me. Tell the guys not to worry about it. It's normal. They'll outgrow it. 
and just, you know, it's not a big deal. And I knew that what they were saying just didn't, it just didn't sit with me. There was something that was, that was more. The reason is, is because when I was a kid, and I'm old enough to be um, your, your guys' dads, or dad, I guess, just one dad. <laughs> um, it, porn was very different when I was a kid. I mean, in, in, in some very important ways. When, when people my age, let's say my classmates or whatever, if, if there was porn, we were talking about a magazine, right? And there weren't that many magazines. There were maybe three, four different magazines you could get. Uh, of course, if you were a kid or a teenager, you couldn't really get them, right? Because you had to be 18. And, you know, so just getting them was very, very hard. Um, there wasn't much to be had. And, of course, everything cost money, right? So these three things together made it very hard for anyone to become addicted. Uh, not only that, but we were talking about, you know, for the most part it was print, it was magazines, right, and, and with some videos, right? But nothing at all like what you have today with, with uh, online internet uh, videos. So uh, basically what I, what I decided at that point was that I, I needed to, to get myself educated and figure out what was going on because I realized that there was much more going on than than the people above me there, my, my, the directors, uh, told me. So, uh, right, when, when, and basically, what I realized that this wasn't just about sex, it wasn't normal, it wasn't experimentation, it was something I was getting much more serious. Um, and it really had become a way for young men to deal with unpleasant feelings. It, it became a way to deal with life. So how big is a problem is porn in 2020? Uh, what do you guys think? What, what percentage of young men look at porn, would you say, worldwide? Any, anyone have any guesses here? Yeah. I've heard one that's 99%. Of 99%, okay. Of what? People graduating high school. Of, of people graduating high school, okay. Not bad. Who else? Who else has any other uh, estimates? Ideas? 95%. What's that? 95%. 95 I think we're getting very... Exacting here. So somewhere between 95 and 90. Anyone say lower than 95? 94. Okay, you guys are not really, you, guys, you guys are messing around. Okay, so uh, basically, I, I guess I'm happy to hear that, that no one here is deluding themselves and thinking it's 50%, 75%. Uh, there's, you know, there's always tons of studies about this, you know, and... And I think the most recent study for this that something like 84% of young people regularly view porn online. Uh, the leading porn website in the world, which I'm not going to the name, but, but uh, you guys probably know what I'm talking about, at least some of you. Uh, in 2018, it got 33.5 billion site visits in the year, right? So there's what, like, are there 8 billion people in the world yet? Not yet. Here in the Gush, people know exactly how many billions of people, right? Other places, really, I don't know. Well, actually, it's seven point. Okay, but right, so not not quite, not quite eight billion. Thank you for that. But so, if let's say there's seven and a half billion people, and we have thirty point five billion site visits. Can you do the math there? I'm just kidding. Um, it's, but it's a, that's a lot, right? So in other words, that would be that every single person in the world is looking at porn. Of course, that's not how it works. There are some people looking at porn a lot, and other people not that much at all. But what it means is that there's a lot of people looking at a lot of porn. This same porn site, which I'm not going to mention the name, is actually, if you look at the top traffic, the, the top websites in the world in terms of traffic, this is always ranked in the top 10. Uh, right now, I checked uh, just today, before I came here, in the United States, this website ranks number 7, 
currently above Instagram and Wikipedia in terms of how, how much traffic they get. 90% uh, of children between the ages of 8 and 16 have seen porn online. 90%. And 70% of them saw it unintentionally. I don't know if you heard some of these statistics in the last lecture. It didn't really, it didn't really talk about porn. Uh, and 22% and of the porn that's viewed by children is by kids under 10. So there's, there's a lot of pornography from a very young age. Uh, back in 2002, before we had smartphones, uh, a group of lawyers called the American Academy of Matrimonial Lawyers uh, said that, that they said that about 50% forces uh, one person, usually the husband, looking at pornography was part of the reason they got divorced. Right? So 50%, in 50% of divorces, the husband was looking at, was, was the, his porn use was part of the reason they got divorced. Okay? In 2009, a, uh, a, uh, some researchers in Canada, they wanted to conduct a study comparing regular porn users with young men who had never looked at porn. I don't know if you guys ever heard this, this uh, piece of this is uh, a little more than 10 years ago. So they were looking for subjects who'd never looked at porn. They could not find any. They could not find even one. They actually had to change the entire study because they were not able to find a group of young men who had never watched porn. So yeah, that's, that's, that's how prevalent it is, right? And again, all these, these things I just mentioned, these are from before 2012. 2012 is, 2007 is when the iPhone came out. 2012 is where smartphones really kind of became popular. I don't know if you guys can remember, let's see, it's eight years ago, so you guys were about 10, 11? How old are you guys? Eight, I'm good with math too, Right, so, um, right, so yeah, you guys, you guys, I don't know if you guys remember that, right? So we're talking about, you were 10 or 11, smartphone just became, now it's, it seems everyone has a smartphone, right? And who wouldn't? You know, I, I don't know if you guys uh, ever watched movies from like more than like uh, 10, 15, 20 years ago, and you're watching the movie and you're thinking, why don't they just pick up their phone, right? And like, you could solve everything. But people didn't always have smartphones. In any case, in 2012, when, when smartphones really became popular, uh, that, imagine these statistics where we said, right, 50% of, of marriages uh, that end in divorce involve compulsive or excessive pornography use. Imagine what it is now in 2020. Now the smartphones, right? That statistic is before smartphones. Okay. Uh, and this last piece of thing is, is uh, this goes back to what you said. Uh, in, in 2018, this study showed that couples in a long-term relationship, 98% of the men in long-term relationships uh, had viewed porn in the last six months, and 80% within the last week. Right. So again, I don't think any of this is terribly shocking for any of you guys. Um, it's unfortunate and it's sad, but I think it's, it's not too shocking. The thing is, is that this issue affects everybody. It affects not just teenagers, not just older men, not just single, not just married. As Robbie Friedman says, it affects everybody. And how much Torah you learn, unfortunately, does not immunize anyone from the threat. I have had clients who have finished Shas. I have clients who are well-known rabbis. Um, it, it doesn't. It doesn't. Unfortunately, it, it doesn't. It doesn't discriminate. Okay, so let, let's talk a little bit about what makes an addiction. Um, anyone here have an idea of what? What would they say? How would you define an addiction to something? Yes. Something you actively want to stop but can't. Something you actively want to stop but can't. I I love that. That's a great definition. One thing I would add to that is even in the face of consequences, whether you've actually experienced consequences or 
you know that you will, you still can't stop, right? So let's say someone who um, you know gets pulled over for drunk driving, right? The second time, right? They lose their license and they continue to drink, right? I think everyone would agree this guy's an alcoholic, right? Um, I'm, did you have an idea for a definition for addiction? Okay, true. Some people, some people, right, addiction doesn't have to be, I mean, there are people where you don't want to stop, that's true as well. Um, okay, but let's, let's, let's go with, with this, this definition we have here, I think it's very good. Um, and that's what you see with, with people who use porn. A lot of people, and this is not just from people, by the way, I have clients who are, who are from clients who tell me that they're shocked when they hear that I have non-from and non-Jewish clients. They say, wait a minute, this guy's not from, what does he care if he looks at porn? What, what's the big deal, right? Why, why is that, you know, it's not Nevera, what, what, what is the problem? The point is, is that this is something that it causes problems for everybody. If someone gets to the point where they become addicted to something, it doesn't matter if it's alcohol or drugs or pornography or, or, uh, or working out or going to work or learning Torah. But I guess I'll leave that one alone for right now. It's probably a little more um, anything, anything that you do can become an addiction, right? And that includes pornography, even something which even though some people would say, you know, what's the big deal? It's, it, isn't pornography normal, right? Sex is normal. Like, like my, uh, my old supervisors used to tell me at the counseling center where they said, isn't, isn't this isn't just a normal part of growing up? The answer is no. Porno internet pornography today is a highly addictive drug. It, let, 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 for example, let's say compare it to alcohol or cocaine or, or you name it, right? It, it does the exact same things as all those addictive drugs. It gets you high, right? It numbs your pain. It alters your perception of reality, and it helps people to cope with life. All these things, uh, all these things are people accomplish through pornography, and that's how they get addicted. So uh, let me just address here for a second this question of is it Yetzirah? Um I'm sure you guys have probably really interesting, you know, different opinions on this, but I'll, I'll tell you my Okay, there, there are certain... People in the from world who say that uh, sexual addiction, pornography addiction, is to her. I, I don't believe that. I don't believe it. I don't mean to say that that it's okay. I don't mean to say that it's not a problem. But I think the same way that just like we're saying that it, it's another drug, just like alcohol or cocaine or anything. I don't think anyone says that alcoholism is Yitzhahara, right? I think people at this point today realize that someone who's addicted to alcohol or drugs has a medical problem and that they need medical treatment. Back uh, a, a generation or two ago, maybe more like two generations ago, people thought that if you were an alcoholic, you had a problem with your morality, right? That you were weak-willed and you had, didn't have enough willpower, and you need sort of moral re-education, right? People don't think that now. People realize that if someone is a drug addict or an alcoholic, they need to go to rehab, right? If it's bad enough, they need to get treatment. And just telling them to, you know, straighten up and cut it out isn't going to work. It's the same thing for sex and for porn, right? Unfortunately. It's not the kind of thing you, you will hear certain people in the front world who say, just learn more Torah, learn more Musser, right? I don't hear anyone saying that to an alcoholic or a drug addict. No one tells a heroin addict, learn Musser, right? That would be ridiculous, right? I see, right? I see, I see people smiling. That would be like, offensive, right? Yeah, just learn Musser and your heroin addiction will go away. But why is it that when it comes to sex, people have this different attitude? I guess because, again, people think, well, sex is natural, right? That doesn't mean that people can't get addicted to it. Same thing with food, right? Food is natural also, but you will meet people who are addicted to food. Probably everyone knows people. Obesity is, is, is you know, maybe 
along with, with this issue, one of the biggest problems affecting Western culture today. Okay, uh, so that's my, my, uh, my two cents about if, if it's Yates or her. Um, the answer was no, if I wasn't clear. Uh, okay, so how do we become addicted to porn? All right, so there's, there's this, this cool thing that some scientists identified called a supernormal stimulus. This is very cool. I would think Gush guys would like to see some people taking out their pens, taking notes. This is, this is very cool science stuff. Supernormal stimulus. What that means is, in nature, right, we have a certain attraction to the most extreme characteristics of something. So, for example, um, na naturally, if birds, there's different, let's say, birds uh, sitting on eggs in a nest, right? If there are different size eggs, they will naturally devote more attention to the larger eggs. Right? That's why there's certain birds. I, you guys heard of like the cuckoo bird. I'm sure some, some of you guys, you guys are really smart, right? So you know. The cuckoo bird is like a parasitic bird. It lays its larger uh, egg in other birds' nests. And then what does the mother bird do? It sits on this other intruder's egg and, and forsakes their own. So some scientists, they, they wanted to see how far they could take this. And they kept on making like fake eggs and putting them in birds' nests. And they would keep putting them in and get bigger and bigger and bigger to the point where the bird would just keep sliding off, right? It was so big. But the bird continued to sit on that egg and let their eggs die. Another example is butterflies, right? Butterflies are drawn to the most colorful mates, right? So these same ingenious scientists said, let's make fake butterflies, right, out of cardboard and see what happens. And so they painted these fake butterflies the most brilliant, beautiful colors, right? And they put those fake cardboard butterflies out and guess which uh, butterflies the male butterflies were drawn to, and which one they were, they started to mate exclusively with the cardboard butterflies. They preferred the cardboard butterflies to the real butterflies. Now, if right away, I think some guys might see the parallel here with pornography, right? And we're going to get into that. But, but unfortunately, because pornography has become such an epidemic, we have a whole generation of, of men who would rather be sexual with, with their own, with a, with a fake woman, with someone in their imagination, than with their real wife. You should know, and then this is an important warning for you guys, because you guys are still young, and there's still time to, to change. You should know, a lot of young guys think, I'm only doing this now because I'm single, and when I get married, I will stop. That, unfortunately, is never the case. Never. What happens, unfortunately, is guys get married and they have this, they develop this addiction, they develop this coping mechanism, right? And now they think, oh great, I'm married, Baruch Hashem, she's beautiful, she loves me, she wants to be with me, and guess what? After one, two, three, six months, whatever it is, a year, two years, all of a sudden, and I don't think it lasts that long, people realize, hey, you know what, this isn't as good as my fantasy. This isn't as good as pornography. Why? why? Why would that be the case? Well, your imagination is always going to be better, right? When you get married to, to a, young, a young woman, right, as beautiful as she is, she's going to have imperfections, right? And when you're comparing in your mind this real person in front of you, compared to all the thousands and, I don't know, maybe millions of images that, that, that guys have seen through years and years of looking at, at porn, a real person can't compare, right? Um, we'll, we'll get... More back to that in a minute. But anyway, so again, so with the super, super normal stimulus, right? So we have uh, uh, fake, fake women, right, versus real women. It's, it's a little bit also like there's, there's a, with junk food as well, right? 
how, why is junk food so addictive, right? Why, why do people love to drink sugary snacks and, and eat salty French, right? Because the, the food scientists have, have engineered them in such a way that it overrides our natural threshold of satiation, right? So in other words, we might be full, right? You know the expression is always room for dessert, right? Well, you go to McDonald's or, or wherever, right? And everything is dessert, right? Everything is exactly designed in a way so there's just enough fat and sugar and salt that it's irresistible. And even if you're full, you will continue to eat. That's, that's how it works with porn. There's something, another cool scientific thing called the Coolidge effect. And the way the Coolidge effect works is, basically, you take a rat, a male rat, you put him in a cage with a female rat, right? Now, he will mate with this female until he's, until he's tired of her, right? And then he'll just take it easy and he'll just chill out, right? Then, watch Netflix or something, right? So then, then you introduce a new female rat to the cage. What happens? All of a sudden, this, this male rat, who was previously done, right, he was satiated, all of a sudden, he's in the mood again, right? And, and then he will meet with the, with the new female. You do it with a third, same thing happened, and a fourth and a fifth, and basically, you can keep going until he literally will collapse with exhaustion and can't continue anymore, okay? That's called the Coolidge effect, and again, it's this idea of novelty, right? Where when we have something novel, it, it can sort of, again, it will uh, cross over that threshold of satiation, and, and again, this doesn't happen in, in real life. In real life, we're married to one person, right? I guess if you're smart, maybe two women, right? But otherwise, otherwise, you know, and you're with that woman or, or those two women. I'm just kidding, of course, right? Uh, it's been recorded, just joking. Uh, you're with that one woman, and then, you know, and you, you get satiated, and, and you're, you're good, right? When you have an unlimited supply of, of, of new women, you can keep going and going and going. That does have its cost, which we'll get to that also. Okay. When a person, as with any drug, when a, when a person gets a stimulation, I'm sure, again, here in the Gush, everyone knows all about dopamine. You guys don't know more about dopamine than I do. Um, the brain creates its own... Am I wrong? Are you guys not as smart as I was told you are? I just was told that you guys are really, really smart. Um, I guess I'll see what kind of questions you guys ask. So ask so I think it's some good ones. Um, the brain creates its own dopamine, normally, right? What happens when you introduce a drug to your brain, it, it messes with the brain's natural dopamine system, right? So let's say, for example, cocaine, right? I have my regular dopamine going on, okay? Here comes this cocaine, floods my brain with dopamine. It's like, wow, this is amazing, right? But a after a while, my brain starts to say, hey, there's so much dopamine going on over here, I don't need to make my own. And your brain will actually downregulate and stop creating its own dopamine, right? Which means that when you don't have the drug, now you start to feel itchy. And you start to get that, that feeling like something's not right. And you, have a very, you feel a very low dopamine, and you start to get those cravings. And that's where a person gets withdrawal reactions, and that's how they get hooked. Because then now they need the drug again, because their brain's not making their own dopamine. Um, and we can see this with brain scans of people who are addicted to pornography. Their brains, when you look at them under a, uh, an MRI scan, their brains actually look the same as other drug addicts in terms of the parts of the brain that are working and not working as, as compared to normal non-drug users. Okay. All right. Why, so why is porn addiction such a problem now? As I said, when I was younger, uh, it, it wasn't such an issue. Right? So basically, it comes down to what they call the triple A engine. Okay, again, you guys could just take notes here. Uh, and those three A's are accessibility, affordability, and anonymity, right? I was saying before in the, in the 
the bad old days when I was when I was a kid and you couldn't get porn, right? There was, there was no access, it wasn't affordable, and it wasn't anonymous, right? Now you have those three things, right? Uh, it's accessible to everyone who has a smartphone or, or any kind of device. It's totally free, and it's completely anonymous. No one, you never have to risk anyone seeing you. No one has to know that you ever did it. You put those three things together, you have a perfect storm. It's called the AAA engine, and that, that is why you have so many people today who are so addicted. And again, as, as you guys probably know, uh, it's not just about porn, right? Porn is sort of the gateway drug. I don't know if you guys ever heard the expression that marijuana uh, was, or has been referred to as a gateway drug, right? And that people who try marijuana, it then opens them up, it sort of opens the, the gates to try other harder drugs, right? So we see that the same thing is true with pornography. Once, after a while, when people have been using porn for many, for many years, or it depends on the person, um, for some people, it's a natural progression to then start acting out with people in real life, right? So they're not just acting out alone on their screen, they now start interacting with real people, and that could mean people having sex with strangers, uh, paying for sex, all kinds of uh, heavy stuff over there. All right, so all addictions have negative side effects, as we know. What are some of the side effects of, of porn? So again, this is something which, well, let me ask you guys. How many of you guys in here have heard of something called porn-induced erectile dysfunction? Raise your hands if uh, you don't have to raise it high. Okay, no one, no, no one looked behind you. Uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, so, all right. So, some guys in here are willing to admit that they've heard of this uh, thing called porn-induced erectile dysfunction. Now, what is it? This is something which did not exist 20 years ago. 20 years ago, uh, there was no such thing as young men with erectile problems. Right? Erectile problems is for people who are uh, older, right? People who are getting in their 50s, 60s, 70s, right? Maybe people with you know heart problems, that kind of thing. Um, there was never such a thing as guys who had recurring issues with 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 getting and keeping erection. Unfortunately, what's happened with pornography? People have been watching so much pornography that they have literally become numb to any kind of sexual stimulation. And in fact, as I was saying a little bit about this before, when it when it comes to having sex with a real person. Right? I have clients who, when they come to see me, they're able to have an erection for pornography, but not, not to real people anymore, not to their wife, not for their wife. And this, this is a very real problem. And there's some guys who, who can't get erections at all. Right? I, mean, I don't know if this is scaring you guys, but, but it should, because it, it's very real. And this is something which, again, people, they, they, porn becomes, and again, part, part of the problem is, we live in a society, and I don't mean from people per se, but in Western culture, we're getting these messages that pornography is normal, right? If you watch television, if you watch movies, people joke about pornography and, and, and masturbation as if it's no big deal, right? As if it's just normal. And especially for young men, it's expected, right? You have to realize, though, that when, when internet pornography entered the game, it's, it's a very different ballgame than it was in the past, okay? Uh, some other uh, unintended side effects of pornography addiction, sexual addiction, it messes up your perceptions, right? Uh, as I was saying before, if you're used to looking at porn for, for years, and then you get married, and, you know, what if your wife doesn't have a perfect figure? And guess what? She won't, right? She won't just because they're real people, right? Real people, they gain weight from time to time. They have babies, and all of a sudden, their, their body shape changes, right? Um, so it creates these unrealistic, impossible expectations for your wife, right? And then you wind up resenting your wife and not wanting to have sex with her, right? Uh, again, being the constant variety of pornography also is something which, again, in real life, you know, 
if for someone who wants to watch porn, you you know they, it's like going walking into uh, Baskin Robbins, right? It's like today I'm gonna have chocolate, and then tomorrow I'm gonna have pistachio. When you're married to someone, it's chocolate all the time, right? Or vanilla all the time, or pistachio. But uh, you know what I'm saying? And and you have to be able to live with that, and it's hard because you grew up eating Baskin Robbins, and you and you think like there's a sense of entitlement, right? It's like wait a minute, why can't I have triple fudge chunk tonight, right? Um, so, and, and, and that's not real life. That's not real life. Also, again, you, people who watch porn think that sex looks a certain way, right? Sex in porn is very different than, porn, than, than, than sex in real life, okay? I, I remember this young guy who came to see me, not Jewish, and uh, he was in his 20s, probably mid-20s. He came and he, and he said, uh, you know, I was with my girlfriend, we were having sex, and I asked her, you know, like, how do you want it? Do you want it? Like, and she's like, ew, like, no. And he's like, what? And I said, dude, like, that's not, that's not normal. I said, like, I know you watch porn and you think that's normal, but that's not normal. Like, women really don't like that. And he was, he was stunned. He was like, what? Because like, that, again, it, it's sort of like, uh, I, went, I went to public school, in high school, and we had one semester in 10th grade, it was a health class, health class, which was really sex ed, right? I mean, that was, the, you know, that was part of it. Um, that was the best part of it, right? Anyway. <laughs> But, so we had sex ed, so that's how we learned a little bit, I mean that, you know, and watching television for, for, for 30 years. But I'm saying that, that taught us about, you know, what sex was. For today's young people, for you guys and your generation, your sex ed is, is pornography, unfortunately. And it's a lot more toxic than what we got. A lot more toxic. Um, in pornography, sex objectifies women. And the women are basically, they're objects for the man's pleasure, right? Which again, it, that's not real life. When, when you have sex with your wife, God willing, it's about a connection. It's about two people enjoying each other. It's not about one person using the other person for their, for their pleasure, right? Um, and that means that, again, you're, it, when you're married, you're married to a real person. And she may not want to do everything that you want to do. And that's okay. And that's something you guys need to figure out together. Um, but again, if someone's been watching porn for many years they're going to feel ripped off. They're going to say, what, what the heck, man? This is not what I signed up for, right? Uh, porn sex can be violent, can be humiliating. Um, I think uh, some guys in here uh, might not be surprised to hear that women don't like to be choked during sex, right? Again, if you're watching porn for years and years, you may think most women like to be choked and slapped because it is, that is normal, right? That's, don't, don't try that. Do, not, do try this at home. Um, <laughs> Or if you do, call me afterward because I want to hear what happens. I don't. I don't think that's going to go too well. Um, okay. Uh, couples who watch porn are twice as likely to get divorced. Married women who watch porn uh, are three times as likely to get divorced. So just just by watching porn, you're increasing your chances of of getting divorced. Okay. As with other drugs, the addiction escalates over time. Uh, Right? That's the reason people overdose. Right? When you hear about people dropping dead from an overdose, why, why are people overdosing? Right? They've been using drugs for years. What happens is the same amount of drug doesn't get you high anymore. So you need to keep doing more and more and more. Uh, with sex it, uh, or porn, it means more intense, more risky. Right? For a lot of guys, and this is particularly disturbing, and by the way, I, I mean this in all seriousness, if this includes anyone in the room, you should know you're not alone because a lot of guys come to me, single guys, married guys, and they're looking at porn now. They're looking at gay porn. They're looking at transsexual porn. They're looking at stuff, and they're like, I'm not gay. I do not understand this at all. I have no idea why I'm going to this, but this is what I'm drawn to. This is what turns me on. The reason is, 
after a while, again, you, you need to up the dose. You need it to get more and more extreme. And so even there are guys, there are guys who, are, who are really straight. They're heterosexual guys, but they have now crossed over into other types of pornography, into some really, some really uh, you know, unusual stuff just, just to get that high. Okay. Um, and then, of course, as I said, like with other drugs, there is, there is a possibility of an overdose. What do you guys think, what would an overdose from, from porn addiction or sexual addiction look like, in, in, in all seriousness? Any ideas what that might look like? Yeah. Okay, well, I mean, uh, mas masturbation to the point of injury is something, again, that, that's, that's a standard question on the questionnaire when, I, when, I, when people come to see me. They ask, have you ever masturbated to the point of injury? And yes, for sure, some people, absolutely. What, what else? Overwatching pornography so much, you have a desensitivity to actual attraction towards me. Okay, a desensitization, as we talked about. Thank you, yes? More generally, self-neglect. Self-neglect, Okay. Well, yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, people fall into depression, right? There's, there's a, it really, it messes with your whole brain, right? They, they found that, that, uh, that, that it, it actually makes people more depressed. I read an article uh, just recently saying that, that they, uh, that they said that they think that it can just, it, it can, using porn long term can mess up your prefrontal cortex over time, right? Which is the part of your brain which is in, in charge of sort of making decisions, the executive functioning. It's, uh, it, it can just mess up your brain. Uh, well, first of all, you can, if, if, it, if it extends to the point where people are now going beyond their own screen and they're, they're meeting up with other people, they could catch diseases, right? Um, people can get caught, right? They can get arrested. I know back when I was living in, in uh, New York, there was a rabbi at, uh, at one of the uh, modern Orthodox day schools who was arrested for child porn. Um, yeah, they came and like broke down his door at like six in the morning, and they seized him. And that is, you know, and I would guess that he probably didn't start there. You know, that's something that he, he got there. Um, you know, and of course, it's getting arrested, getting humiliated, you know, in public, being in the newspapers, all these things are, are real, real things here. Okay, um, let's see here. Let's just look at the time. So let's let's ask this question of. Uh, oh, and I just want to say this, this thing also. Porn affects not just individuals, but also society, right? Uh, there was an article in, two weeks ago, the New York Post said, why today's young men are terrified of sex, right? And they said it has a lot to do with porn. Porn is really uh, affecting the way that people view women in relationships, basically totally just confusing people and people aren't dating anymore. Um, also, uh, you may have uh, heard this news that's been coming out for the last couple of years, that people, that people in your generation, and I'm not talking about people now, I'm talking about non-from people, non-Jewish people, that in America, people are having much less sex than they did a generation ago. Which again, how does that make sense, right? You would think that with all this much more sexualizing, which many more people watching porn, more people would be, would be watching, uh, would be having sex. It's actually much lower. I would even go so far. This is my own theory here, but the shidduch crisis that people are talking about in, in the yeshiva world, in the Haredi world, has a lot to do with this issue of porn. I I, I don't know anyone else who says that. Um, but I, I really believe that this is a, it's affecting again people are people have these unrealistic expectations of what to expect and, it, and it's it's making it harder to get married. So now let's just talk a little bit about you know how to know if you're addicted, okay, and what to do if you might be. Okay, so I, I spoke at a different yeshiva, and uh, the rabbi when he asked him to speak said you know Baruch Hashem no one in, in our yeshiva is addicted to porn, and I and I just thought that was hilarious because I was like okay. 
Um, <laughs> I was like, wow. Well, that, that would right? That would really be a beautiful thing, but it's not real. I mean, it, it, and, I, and I said that when I spoke there, I said, you know, with all due respect, you're just dead wrong. And it's just, it's just not, not possible. Um, the point is that you might be addicted and not know it, right? Again, because, like I said before, this idea that a lot of young guys think, I'm doing this now because I'm single and I'm going to stop, right? That's classic addiction talk. That's how, you know, the classic thing that addicts say, I can stop whenever I want. Uh, yeah, I just don't want to stop right now. But when, when I need to stop, I'll stop. Unfortunately, when that day comes, then they're like, oh, I guess I can't stop, right? Um, and also, people tend to think of addicts as being like really low-functioning people, right? People think that, you know, an addict is some bum lying in the gutter somewhere covered in vomit, and, you know, those guys may be addicted too, but you can actually be very high-functioning. When my practice based in Manhattan, I had, um, I still have actually, I, I Skype now with, with people all over the world, some very, very high-functioning people, CEOs. I had one guy who was a billionaire. I had, I had uh, someone who owned a professional hockey team. People were very, very well, uh, someone had his own TV show. People were very successful and very high-functioning in other areas of your life. When it comes to this, again, the addiction doesn't discriminate. Okay, so, so you, could be, you, could be, uh, you could be addicted without knowing. It, it, it's, I just want to add this, this, this thing here also. Remember that when you get married, the, all, all, you know, and, and I think maybe, maybe I may have thought this too when I was single, that you know, when you get married, your life will be easier, right? Unfortunately, it's, it's not always the case. I don't know if it's ever the case, right? But, but uh, because, you know, when, when you're single, you're focused on living your own life, making yourself happy. Now you're married, you have to now make you and this person happy, and sometimes they're at odds with each other. So realize that, that marriage can make your life more challenging, so the marriage won't, is not going to solve it. So if you really want to test the water and see if you might be addicted, here's my challenge for you. See if you can go 90 days without masturbating. Okay, 90 days without looking at porn and 90 days without masturbating. If you can do that, I, I congratulate you because I, I, I think that's something very hard to do. That's something when people come for treatment, that's something that we work on together. But for most guys, when, when I say that to them, I want you to do 90 days, they, I mean, it's as if I was telling them they had to hold their breath for 90 days, like as if I was asking them to do something, you know, I want you to climb Mount Everest, right? But it, it is doable, but if you can't do it, then you might have an addiction. Uh, all right, is, is there hope for people struggling with pornography addiction? The answer is absolutely. Um, it is a real addiction, like all addictions, it's chronic, in other words, there's no, there's no cure, right? If someone's an alcoholic, if you ever meet someone who uh, is a recovering alcoholic, They'll say, uh, you know, are, are you an alcoholic? Yes, I, I, I'm sober for 20 years, but I'm still an alcoholic, right? The idea is, is that it's a chronic disease. It doesn't go away. Um, I think the last speaker mentioned diabetes. I, I, I compare a lot to diabetes. Diabetes is a chronic disease. There's no cure, right? But if you know, if you know that you have diabetes and you take your insulin and avoid certain food, you can have a normal life, right? However, if you have diabetes and you eat whatever you want and you don't take your insulin, you're, you're going to have a tough time, right? So, so there, you absolutely can recover from this, but you have to be aware, you have to get help, and you have to realize it's not going to be easy. It's a lifelong commitment. Um, you know, that being said, there are many people who can get healthy, and you can have many years, right? It's interesting, if you go to an AA meeting, right, Alcoholics Anonymous, right, or any Narcotics Anonymous, right, 12-step meeting for, for drugs or alcohol, you will meet tons of people who have not had a drink in 20, 30, 40 years. That's totally normal. You walk into the room, you find a dozen people, right, in any meeting. 
You walk into a meeting for SA, Sexaholics Anonymous, they have that, you will not find people with more than, in, on average, you'll find people who have one year sober, two years sober, three years sober. You might, you know, if you meet some big shot, five years, 10 years. That's not the norm. It's a, it's a, it's a very hard addiction, but again, the good news is you can, you can recover from it. So what should you do if you're struggling? So, first of all, talk to someone you trust, right? If there are rabbis here in the that you feel uh, that you can trust, I'm sure there are people here who are open and receptive to talk about this. They find people who, who, that you feel honest. And, and don't be afraid to, to tell you, you're not the only person, right? As I said, this is a huge problem, as we said before, something close to 100% of, of men are, are looking at porn at some point. If you're one of them, and if it becomes a problem, don't be embarrassed, don't be ashamed. Realize this is, this is the, this is the page of our generation. Um, and, and, and talk to someone who can help. As far as getting treatment, it's important that if you do go for therapy, and I do recommend getting therapy if you have a real addiction, that you find someone who is trained in this, because not every therapist out there knows how to, how to treat it. Uh, in fact, most don't, because, it, because it's a new addiction. 15 years ago, there was really, no one had this because there was no broadband internet, and people weren't really getting addicted. So only people with specific training in this can help you. There are a lot of, a lot of uh, who are not trained can give very bad advice. A lot of, I, I've had many people came to me, let's say couples who came to me, the wife catches the husband, drags her husband to a therapist, and the therapist tells the wife, he's not the problem, uh, Mrs. Schwartz, um, you're the problem, you need to loosen up. And you know, it's, it, maybe you should watch pornography together with your husband. By the way, even from therapists who, who say these things, and obviously this is the worst thing you can say when, it's, when, when the guy's addicted, right? Because now you're basically you know, telling her that her needs not being met are not important and that she's trying to um, accommodate him. So therapy is really good. 12 steps. Again, there's sex and haunts anonymous. How many guys in here have heard guard your eyes? Okay, wow. Okay, great. So guard your eyes, I think, is really good. I don't agree with everything they say. They actually, they tend to put sex addiction as Yitzhahara. They, they tend to conflate the two. I don't see it that way at all. Like I said, that being said, they've raised a tremendous amount of awareness in the from world. Um, and the main thing they do is try to, they have their own uh, phone meetings that they get people on, which is great. And also they get people to go to SA, the 12-step meeting, which is also really good. Um, filters. Uh, I think he was talking about filters, the previous speaker. You must have filters, right? It, it is not, when, when you think about it, having unfiltered internet, when, when you're talking about this drug, we said before, this is like, the, like the, the, uh, the fantasy drug, that if you had to design a drug, this would be it. Walking around with an internet connection that's unfiltered is sort of like walking around with, I don't know, uh, a handful of, of uh, you know, marijuana in your pocket, or I don't know what. I'm saying, what, you know, it, it's, like, uh, it's, it's, it's like walking around with drugs on you at all times, okay? And for someone who's trying to quit, you must have a filter, right? An alcoholic, if he had a liquor cabinet in his house, he better have a lock on it, and someone else better have the key, right? Because he's not just asking for trouble. If you have a problem with this, you absolutely have no excuse to, to not have a filter, right? You need whatever your excuses are, you must have a filter and someone else has to have the password, okay? I, I'm gonna pass out um, this, uh, I have a sheet here with some, uh, some suggested resources, those different filters uh, for laptops, for phones, for tablets, uh, for, for your ISP, uh, a little bit about 12-step programs, and uh, other online resources if you're trying to beat pornography addiction. And, uh, and that's it, then I'll open up to questions. Okay? So with that, we'll wrap up. Thank you very much.
Thank you very much to Brad Hoffman. Again, he gave out his contact info. Anybody wants to uh, speak to him? Um, also, you know, thank him for his time because, like he said, he does uh, Skype Havutas uh, with people across the world, and uh, that means that uh, he wasn't doing it now, so we really appreciate that as well.